commitment, dedication, success. Copland, Keebler, and Wallace, the most trusted name in executive search and consulting, welcomes you to the KKNW podcast, where we delve deep into the not so simple art of hospitality. And now here's your host, award-winning journalist, compelling storyteller, and video strategist, Corey Saban. And hello, everyone. It's great to be with you again in another KKNW podcast. Today, we have two people that many of you know who are forward-thinking doers that really impact change. The first one is Kurt Keebler. He is, of course, one of the name partners of Copland, Keebler, and Wallace. Kurt is a consistent leader who successfully managed top clubs and respected communities for more than 28 years. He served as president of the Florida chapter of CMAA, as well as national director. The other gentleman that's joining us today is Steve Graves, the founder and president of Creative Golf Marketing. Steve is a dynamic speaker and well-respected marketing partner to clubs across the country. His team is highly specialized and focused on providing membership solutions for the private club industry. You could say, and I'm going to say it, he is helping to shape the future of private clubs. Guys, great to be with you today. Morning, Corey and Steve. Uh, nice, nice to uh, hear from you. Yeah, thank you, Corey. This is wonderful, and you know, Kurt, it's wonderful to get together, but to go through a podcast. I haven't uh, had a chance to give you a hug in a while. <laughs> yeah, we look forward to doing that, all of us. Um, well, Steve, your boots on the yeah. ground, just like Kurt, and you're out there with helping clubs with marketing and membership and providing solutions. I understand you're on the go now, so ladies and gentlemen, Steve's always on the go, so if you hear some overhead noise from the <laughs> airport, just know that he's working for you. But Steve, as we make our way through this pandemic and we're towards the end of it as more people are getting inoculated, what is your perspective on the industry post-COVID and what clubs can do to regain and solidify themselves? Well, I, there's the first first announcement. Well, you know, Corey, it, it's, it's so fascinating to see, you know, kind of where everybody stands right now. I, I I think that we need to, you know, as in the perspective of what's going to happen in COVID, we have to go back to what was happening before COVID. And, you know, before COVID, not every club was enjoying this prosperity. Not, not to say that the industry wasn't strong, uh, but there were a, a large number of clubs that were not full. There were a large number of clubs that, uh, you know, were having strategic discussions about, you know, what do we do to invigorate our members? What do we do to invigorate the community to know about our club? And then, of course, the pandemic hit, and uh, all of a sudden, on about May 1st, there was the concept of, gosh, you can walk your dog, you can play tennis, and oh my gosh, you can play golf, and private clubs and golf courses nationwide just exploded with interest. What I'm, and I'm a very optimistic person, as you guys both know, what I'm a little fearful of is that they take this kind of irrational exuberance of a monopoly-type relationship of affluent consumers time and discretionary dollars and all these staycations and I'm not convinced that clubs are prepared for when staycations turn into vacations uh, now Kurt knows as well as anybody that clubs are doing a wonderful job of, of uh, uh, rebooting their clubs and using technology and, and uh, capital projects and taking advantage of the income that they've enjoyed you know, through this period of time uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how uh, proactive clubs 
stay or should stay with regard to this momentum. I'm fearful that many of them continue to say, gosh, we, we, you know, we have too many members right now. We're, we're, we're going to wait lists. And you, know, you start to go to wait lists uh, when maybe it wasn't necessary. Maybe you just had still a lot of people not traveling and playing golf courses and the golf course was crowded. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they need to stay proactive. Uh, and, and I think clubs that stay proactive are going to really flourish. You know, that's funny, Steve. I, I have taken a number of calls in the last couple of weeks, quite frankly, from club managers who say that <clears throat> one of the most often discussed new issues is how do we reduce membership uh, out there because of that, the congestion mostly on the golf course is where it's, where it's coming from. But uh, you know, that's a really interesting perspective. How do, you, how do you recommend clubs deal with that at this point? You know, uh, Kurt, it's, it's, we live in such an emotional industry. You know, there's, there's the old joke of, you know, you don't build a church based upon the size of the congregation on Easter morning. And you also shouldn't be looking at capacity at, on golf courses during a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic. Uh, I have a friend of mine who's the head pro at Omaha Country Club. He's been there for 20 years. And when the pandemic occurred, he told me that he had 50 or 60 members that he had literally never seen before because they flew to Chicago. All, you know, they, they were very successful businessmen in Omaha that were consistently on the air, on the road. And all of them were out playing golf, you know, at OCC. And all of a sudden, Omaha Country Club, you know, a phenomenal club and actually a client of ours, and is nearing full with a wait list started to have the compaction discussions. What do we do? You know, what do we do? And, you know, we keep counseling our clients to be, understand, I, you guys know how I, how I use humor. What, what I'm fearful of, guys, there's a, my wife's from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and there's a bumper sticker in Oklahoma, Corey, that says, please, Lord, give us one more oil boom and we won't screw this one up. <laughs> and, and, and I'm a little concerned that we could end up being a clever bumper sticker. Where the where the industry looks back and says, you know, don't don't give us a pandemic, but you know, please, Lord, give us this excitement and have people calling us up to join our club again, and we won't screw this up. Because once once vacations occur, you know, again, I'm in the Los Angeles airport; it's packed. It, it looks pre-pandemic, uh, other than everybody having on masks. And you've been traveling immensely, so what are you seeing in airports? You know, it, it's funny you bring that up because it was probably the last couple of flights I was taking up to Charlotte most recently where it did feel exactly that way, that it was pre-pandemic uh, chaos in the airport. So I was kind of getting used to it and enjoying the fact that nobody was sitting next to me on most of my flights and that you could, uh, it was pretty easy traveling. It's going to start to become more difficult once again. So I, I think you're yeah. right. And, you know, I was the only guy in a suit. I was flying from Chicago. Uh, I had been in a nice club in Chicago and was flying to Los Angeles, and I was the only guy in a suit. We're seeing, a, I'm, I'm seeing at airports a ton of leisure travel. Uh, I still, uh, matter of fact, when I stayed at the Newark airport, Kurt, I talked to uh, uh, the, the fine young woman who checks me in all the time, Clarice, and, and she welcomed me, and I said, how's it going? And she goes, well, we're back to about 50% occupancy, but she goes, very few business travelers, Mr. Grace. So I think you're going to see a lot of clubs still having, you know, the businessmen and women still back at the club. 
but I think you're going to see a lot of travelers. I think we're going to get into June, July, and the compaction issues of these private clubs are going to be minimized. And clubs that you know had told people, "Oh no, we we can't take any more people. You know, we're full," are going to say, "Gosh, look at all the income we left on the t- we left on the sidelines. Look at all the initiation fee income. Look at all the dues." Because when you tell a, an affluent consumer that they're on a wait list, it's not the old days where they go, oh, fine, I'll go home and wait for the call. They just find something else you know, to do. Uh, and it's not that wait lists don't work, uh, but, they're, but they're not as powerful as they once were. You know, it's funny I, on that, too, and I don't know if my numbers are exactly right, but I was talking to... Jim Butler from Club Benchmarking a few days ago, and something like eight or nine percent of clubs, I think, was the number pre-pandemic that had waiting lists. Eight or nine percent said right. their updated dashboard uh, information. It's now up to thirty percent now uh, during and hopefully soon to be post-pandemic have waiting lists. So it really has been. Uh, you know, obviously a silver lining for the club industry, which is hard to say about a pandemic, but um, pretty interesting what it has resulted in for us. It is. It is. What so, do you think, Steve, from, you know, most of these calls I'm getting are because of golf compaction. What What do you think if, you know, from all of your travels out there, if, while that's causing clubs to say we need to look at reducing our membership, which is a really difficult economics equation when you start buying down memberships. Um, and I don't know that too many are actually going to go through that, but what do you, how do we broaden, if at all, the, the perspective of why people are joining clubs? Because we're so seemingly laser focused right now on golf compaction. You know, any perspective on what clubs should or could be doing otherwise to broaden that appeal if they haven't already done it? It's a great, you know, it, it, it really is that conundrum, Kurt, uh, that everybody's going through because, you know, golf remains right now you know, the most exciting component. And, and a lot of it's just simply, it's still outdoors. It still uh, has social distancing. People feel comfortable. They you know, literally can drive in the parking lot, uh, you know, be taking care of their golf equipment, uh, sometimes go into the locker room, go play golf. And now with the, with the clubhouses opening back up, uh, you're, you're getting, but there's still, you know, that still a, a percentage of, of discomfort uh, of individuals. One of the things, you know, Kurt, I, I mean, you know how outspoken I am. I've been talking about tea times at private clubs for the past 20 years. It's fascinating how technology has taken over uh, and private clubs that would say, would say, you know, over my dead body, will we ever have a tea time? Have found out that by having structure, you can get the most people you know, out to your club and utilizing the club and people realize, well, you know, I'll, I'll get a tea time at 10 as opposed to, you know, coming out before and having coffee in the morning and, you know, the, and just kind of milling around and, hey, pro, when am I going to get on? Well, you're, you know, you're going to be on about 942, Mr. Keeper. Oh, okay. Well, in the world we live in, with, with the pandemic, people don't want to be just milling around and there's no place to mill. Right. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes the driving range has a limit of how many people, you know, can be out there. Uh, guests, Goodness gracious, you know, Kurt, I would much rather a club said no guests. You know, if, you, if you've if got too many golfers, then just take care of your members, members only. Right. 
and and you can't have guests. Now, there's ramifications, financial, uh, in, in introducing the club to prospective members. But if during this time, the, this commodity is so valuable, then give it only to the people who are paying for it. And have nobody else, you know, that's there other than the members of the club. And I think you'll find, you know, with tea times and structure, uh, you know, and systems of this nature, clubs will find themselves, you know, not near as overwhelmed as they thought. Uh, but, but there's many elite clubs, as you well know, that, you know, over their dead body, you know, because they, they, matter of fact, I will, I will tell you, I have a, a person who works for me that has young children, Christy Lattimore, everybody knows and, and really loves, and uh, she has young children. And the greatest thing that happened at the country club for her was two hour pods. The kids would always go, can we, you know, can we go to the club, to the pool? No, not till now. No, 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 please, please. Then they went to the, you know, well, kids, we're going to to the pool from 12 to 2. Oh, okay, Mom. Didn't say a word. 11.45 rolled around, got in the car. 2 o'clock rolled around. They said, okay, kids, our two-hour pod's over. Time to go home. They didn't fight, didn't scream. They went, okay, Mom. She said, I love this structure. So sometimes structure, you know, is good other than the person who just doesn't like rules and and thinks always things will be taken care of to them. So I think you know, those are some things that clubs could strongly consider, Kurt. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yesterday, literally, uh, Steve and Corey, I was on the phone with a very prominent GM at a club up in uh, Westchester uh, County, New York, that had never in its history until the pandemic had tea time. They were not only up 50%, 5-0, I doubled, uh, I questioned whether I heard that correctly. <laughs> and he said, we're going to continue with tea times now after whatever is deemed after the pandemic said it really has not been a hindrance and now we can do a much better job servicing our our membership as well so it is kind of interesting I'm, I'm curious you know when I talk to managers what what are you going to continue that you never did pre-pandemic but you were forced to whether it be in communications or, or programming or processing and and so on out there. It is pretty interesting. So it is. I'm I'm curious, Steve and Corey. I'm sorry. I'm I'm jumping in and, and asking too many questions. I'll have one more, and then I'll let you. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, keep going. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm curious, Steve. Are are you seeing you know, just about every club I visit? And I've been Maui, uh, which sounds great, but I was on on the ground 26 hours at my longest trip to Maui in the last uh, twice in the last two months. <laughs> Or is it something else that's driving membership? 
No, you know, I, I really do, Kurt. But I, but I think you know, we there was the movie movie The Perfect Storm that a lot of people have seen, and it was The Perfect Storm was a negative uh, convergence of a lot of negative things that all happened in this horrible, uh, you know, storm on the ocean. I think we got an inadvertent perfect storm that was good. Uh, you know, clubs had already begun to make investments. Now, you know, with club benchmarking you know, doing such an extraordinary job of, of, of teaching people, you know, to be astute, you know, at their capital planning and initiation. Gosh, you know, one of the, one of the other questions that, that goes along with that, Kurt, what are initiation fees doing? Right. Rising. Right. I mean, they're all, they're all going up. Now, they're all going up logically. Uh, you know, they're, we're not seeing these, you know, $150,000 initiation fee going, going back to 425000 because of refundability. But you're seeing, you know, fifty thousand dollar clubs becoming sixty five thousand, becoming eighty. You've seen ten thousand dollar initiation fee clubs being fifteen, you know, and seventeen. And it's because I think the perfect storm hit when clubs had already begun capital projects. Remember when the pandemic hit, you know, mid February uh, of twenty twenty, almost every capital project stopped because everybody was paralyzed and said, Oh gosh, you know, and everybody in that industry was was you know scared to death. Well, <laughs> so were the three of us. Uh, as to what was going to happen. And then May 1st hit, golf exploded, and you know, all of a sudden lending institutions said, yeah, okay, go ahead. Uh, you know, so I think we we got lucky as heck, Kurt and Corey. Uh, you know, all of this hit in kind of a perfect storm mentality. So as capital projects were being done, members were showing up and saying, oh, I love your new fitness center. You know, I love the new bocce courts. I, I love, like you said, Kurt, they weren't looking at these mausoleums that were being built They've been being very astute at, at doing things that people want, casual dining, uh, you know, and, you know, again, and, and fitness, uh, and all the things that have a family orientation, uh, you know, to them. And so, as people came out uh, because of the pandemic for golf, they encountered an experience. Although some of it was shuttered, you know, they couldn't get in, you know, to the fitness centers. I, I blame, I put on 25 pounds. I totally blame the fitness centers being closed. It had nothing to do with Yeah, nothing. yeah. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of my suits, I mean, it's like I have a big toad. Uh, but it's, you know, but it's because, you know, and a lot of fitness centers haven't been able to open up, but people are excited about them. You know, we talked about tea times, we talked about structure, we talked about the renovations and the wait lists and reducing membership. And these are some of the positive things that have come out of the pandemic. But my question is, for you, Steve, how do these clubs ensure these good times last? And what about the clubs, as you alluded to earlier, that not really are enjo- that are not really enjoying the prosperity? What guidance do you have? Yeah, you know, Corey, you know, what a great question. And Kurt, you know, 30% full is fabulous, but there's still 70% that aren't. Uh, and the, the, the clubs that have been proactive, and I, I guess I'm going to make a statement that really is kind of no kidding. Uh, anybody who is proactive in life, you know, Corey and your business, Kurt, you and myself, with our companies, we're, we're trying to not fall into the syndrome of doing things just the way we always did. Uh, and, you know, clubs that are, in fact, thinking outside the box. I mean, I, I know that there's people who will say, well, this violates the tax statute uh, of a 501c7, but anybody that goes away from takeout is, in, is out of their mind. Uh, I mean, it, it, anybody that goes away from technology, uh, you know, there's the, you know, guys, you and I grew up in the era where clubs said, a club is an extension of your home. You know, so we all, oh yeah, okay, so when I go out to the club, I'll feel comfortable. 
Well, and, and whenever a person quit a club, guys, they always said, I just don't use the club enough. Well, if clubs do a good job of making your home an extension of the club, I mean, they still have yoga classes for my wife in the middle of her, uh, in the middle of our, our living room versus going out to the club. If they still have chef tables where my wife is, you know, or my, and myself are in the kitchen doing these things, where they still have book clubs, et cetera, online, you're always going to have the club valuable to the member, even though they didn't go out to the club. And I, and, and that doesn't, that isn't necessarily pandemic wise. That's just, Listen, the older we become, the more, you know, kind of, you know, I'm, I'm a jammy guy, you know, six o'clock at night, I got my jammies on. I'm not, I'm not going to the club, but if the club is still available to me at six o'clock at night in my jammies and some technology sense, whether it be a rules, I was interested in, you know, what the new rules are, uh, you know, for golf and the golf pro has a, you know, a wonderful zoom session, although we hate, you know, we're kind of got zoom gloom. If, if they, if they continue to be outside the box thinkers, but the three of us, have been in this industry so long, that's not where the mentality goes. Mm-hmm. They they tend to go back to we don't need tea times anymore. I you know, I love the fact that I you know have, you know I, because again the guys in the boardroom the guys particularly the guys in the boardroom they don't want tea times because they've got a tea time they get taken care of for their times at all times. So you know Corey, I, I think clubs have to take this horrific pandemic and and the wonderful outcome and realize what of it they can continue. And if they don't, it's at their peril. So embrace yep. the trends, continue the trends. Kurt, is that what you see? Yeah, most definitely. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I was going to ask you, Steve, as a, as a follow-up to that, you know, what do you, and you and I have talked about this many times and Corey, you and I have too, but yeah, I'm, Curious whether you got any updated thoughts on it, Steve. What do you think is the root cause that is prevalent from your eyes and all the clubs you get to visit, like I do, that causes the seventy percent of clubs who don't have a waiting list to be in that predicament? A lot of it is still just staying back in the twentieth, you know, century. Uh, th- think about this, guys. What was the vetting process during the pandemic? Hmm. People were not having to show up. They couldn't show up until, you know, you know, they, so there was a liberalism and I don't mean this, that's not a progressive step. There, there, there was a more liberal, listen, Kurt Keebler's invited Steve Graves. Uh, Steve Graves invited Corey Saban to join the club. Okay. Well, you know, so fill out the, fill out the application and, you know, tragically guys, applications are typically filled out on paper. Well, you know, finally clubs went to, you know, fillable PDFs. Uh, you know, so they're making changes. But they, they, they started to be a little more, hey, you know what? Kurt Kebo's a great guy. He knows Corey Saban and Steve Graves. Let's just go by Kurt vouching for them. And let's, you know, let's give them access. They write their check. Their check clears. And so there was a little bit more of, quite frankly, the Spanish Inquisition got set aside. Uh, and, they, and they made it more easy to, in fact, you know, it welcome these people to the club. It didn't bring in a bunch of bad people. 99% of the people in the world are good people. But, you know, but in the old days, they had all of, you know, when, when all clubs were full and they wanted to, you know, quite frankly, keep certain people out, uh, you know, they, they, we need seven letters of, resi- of, of you know, need seven, seven letters. We need to go by your house and look at your Christmas tree light. Uh, you know, you need to, you know, see what your kids look like, you know, dress up in their Sunday school clothes. Well, that didn't happen during the pandemic. 
uh, Kurt, were, were you seeing clubs being a bit more open-minded with regard to the process of, of, of onboarding? You know, it's itch. I was just trying to think that through. I, I, I don't know that I've had much exposure to that during the pandemic, so that's an interesting observation from you that does not surprise me while I'm thinking about it. I, you know, I just didn't, from my travels, I wasn't as focused on that particular side of it at all. But, um, you know, interesting, because I, I, yeah, I think you're probably exactly right. Because uh, if all these clubs, are, if all these clubs, Kurt, are full, they had to come in some way. Well, if the club offices were, you couldn't come into the clubhouse, they had to have some sort of procedures. Well, those procedures were a little more, yep. you know what, let's, let's kind of hope this guy's as good as we think, but recognizing, you know, so Corey, you know, kind of back to your question. I See, I believe in a 12-month probationary period. Uh, I think it should be easy to get into a club if vouched for by a member. You still fill out an application. They still do a credit check. They still do a background check. But if, if a person vouches for you that's a, that's a quality member and you fill, you fulfill those two background checks, that you pay your bills on time and you're not a felon, hmm. get into the club and you have a 12-month probation that if they find out you know, during that 12 months you're not as good of a person. And, and I could name a couple clubs that are high-level clubs. I, I think I'd be violating my relationship with them, but there's many high-level clubs out there that 12-month probations are quite common and that you're not an actual member of the club for 12 months. So you know, if clubs were more welcoming uh, you know, to you know, people who have sh- are showing interest and in making the onboarding as simple as it seemed to have been done at a lot of clubs in the pandemic, you know, we had every single club that we were working with, you know, had just, a, we had the biggest year you know, we've ever had uh, of, of applications coming in, but it was because clubs had strategies in place to welcome people who were interested. You know, there were, uh, you know, preview concepts, you try our club out, uh, you know, type of thing versus, you know, you just got to write a check and hope that you like the club. Uh, so I think they're going to have to continue. The, the 70% are going to a continue to improve their facilities, you know, B, you know, put together strategies in place that welcome consumers, market their club, you know, have social media to, you know, tell your story better. Cause you know, guys, I, again, you know, how the optimist I am, I'm fearful that 2022 can you imagine, guys, how much competition there's going to be by I don't know, cruise lines, hotels, mm. resorts? Everybody's going to want the affluent consumer in the middle of 2021 and into 2022. And, and they're going to be up against very sophisticated marketing, very sophisticated pricing packages to lure these people away from country clubs when they're playing golf. That's a great segue to my next question then, Steve. So where do you see most clubs then overcoming the mistakes when it comes to membership prospecting and essentially closing the deal if they're going to face that much competition? Well, when we do our podcast in 2022, the three of us together, (laughs) let's hope there's not a bumper sticker that says, give this back again and we won't screw it up again. It's it's not becoming complacent. Uh, it's not stopping capital projects. You know, again, I'll go back to our friends club benchmarking. You know, they're doing a phenomenal job of saying to clubs, you must consistently improve. You must consistently keep all of your facilities. And, you know, Kurt, I think one of the biggest things I'm scared about is that you're going to get the tendency to get back to only taking care of golf courses and not all the other facilities. You know, one of the things we should talk about is the facilities that are flourishing are those that found out that their windscreens were down on their tennis courts and there were cracks in their tennis courts, but, but they would say, yeah, but our greens are stimping at 13. 
We've got the greatest greens in the area. Yeah, but your tennis courts are falling down, and your, and you, and your, your fitness center is a joke. And they hadn't invested. The clubs that are flourishing, it seems in my estimation, have gotten equality in all of their amenities, where the members are as equally proud in every component as opposed to just golf. Right. I'm fearful that golf being so prominent right now will get the, the prominence again of spending. You know, that's a good a good uh, focus. You're, you're 100% right, because we could easily fall back into that once again. And, and you know, it kind of correlates from my experience with most of the board, this is changing too, but most of the boards historically have been long-tenured male golfers. And right. therefore, you know, that's mostly what we're focused on in in the boards. And, you know, fortunately that is changing, but um, you know, you're right with this, this renewed interest in the golf experience out there that we got to be careful that it doesn't fall back. Huh. I'm curious, and you may have answered this in, in, in a different way a second ago, Steve, um, but when you get called in, because I've seen what great success you've had working with clubs all around the country, when you get called in, you know, for those that, that you know aren't working with creative golf marketing and just do this on their own, and you know, even those that want to continue to do, do it on their own, what are they usually missing that causes them to... Uh, not have a robust pipeline of future members coming in? Is there anything in the process that they tend to miss? Is there anything in, you know, we talked about amenities and so on, but is there something else that they're missing? It, it corresponds to two things, Kurt, and I've, I've, we've really been able to identify two specific things. Uh, you know, one is just that the industry thought it was immune to having the market itself that it, it didn't realize that it needed to have collateral materials. That when you uh, uh, and Marianne talked to Nancy and myself, uh, in the old days, the guy made a decision and, you know, didn't need to take home some collaterals to a spouse to have the spouse and kid, you know, look at the amenities and the story about the club. So, number one, clubs have had to up their game of marketing their club, of having marketing materials, of having social media. Uh, and again, all of these things within the brand and image of the, of the most elite clubs, you know, in the country, uh, it's not just, you know, some small club from a small, and I'm not going to say a town cause I don't want to diminish anybody's community. Uh, but it's just, you know, not, it's all clubs need to up their game of marketing, telling their story both internally and externally. And then you're probably going to be a little surprised and I may offend, uh, you know, a, a bit of the industry on this, but the proliferation of the membership director was viewed as the cornucopia of membership growth. All we have to do is hire a person and they will in fact, and listen, and I'm a huge advocate of the profession of membership director. So I'm not, I'm not saying that, that, uh, you know, they need to be minimized. They need to be maximized. But Kurt, Corey, it still goes back to clubs talking to the members about their, their participation. So the clubs that are flourishing right now, the members pridefully told their friends, come out, you should, Kurt, you, come out to our club. You know, get away from, you know, you guys get out of the house, come to our club. It wasn't just, you know, people just calling up uh, and saying, I want to join your club. Although, although that was, if you talk to every general manager in the country, Corey, more phone calls, came in off the street than clubs have ever gotten in their life. The pandemic gave people courage 
to say, I'm tired of being sequestered at home. Maybe I was uncomfortable to call a club because I thought they'd hang up on me, but what the hell? If they hang up on me, they hang up on me. I'm going to call up and go. And, and you know, the questions always are, how busy is your golf course? Uh, how, you know, is it safe? Can I get a tee time? And, and then they'd go, by the way, how, how, how big is the check? What, what check do I write? Mm. But going back, you know, I just was at a, one of the most elite yacht clubs in the United States, and uh, they were talking about how much they love their membership director, but the but that the members misunderstood her role. The membership had stopped participating because they thought, and I won't say her name, but they thought that this this person's job was to get more members. And it's been fascinating to watch the clubs who have gone to their membership and internally marketed and said, you know, Kurt and Corey, listen, you belong to ABC country club and ABC country club belongs to you. So listen, we've, we've spent this money. We've got these new facilities and et cetera. I encourage you to in fact have, you know, to talk to your friends, by the way, Sally or Sam in the office is there to help to facilitate this relationship. But you know, Kurt, I, we've been able to identify that clubs, you know, that just felt that they were, and I'm, you know, back to my, my weight, I can't hire a personal trainer and have him do sit-ups while I eat donuts. I, you know, a personal trainer tells me what to do, how to do it, how to do it best, how to do it well, how to do it effectively. Well, see, a membership director does the exact same thing. Membership director says, well, Mr. and Mrs. Keebler, you know, here, you know, let me, let me give you some material that you can share with a friend. And then why don't you tell them and bring, I'll bring them out. I'll give them a tour, et cetera. I will in fact work with you through this process. So it's your, so that all you have to do is exhibit to your friends the love for them that you have and the desire that you have for them to be part of the club. I'll warm, you know, I'll make, I'll assimilate them into the club as the membership director. And club members haven't been taught yet that it's still their it's still their job. It's still their process. So, sorry for the yeah. Corey, well, I apologize. I've taken I'm taking up all the podcasts on this, <laughs> but that's that's still one of the things that I I feel. Uh, and, and membership directors are unbelievable. They, every club has to have them, but it's as much as membership relations and membership retention. Because one of the other questions is, what about retention? You know, clubs are still seeing more people jo- leaving than they have been joining. So at, at the end of this pandemic, the question is, is will, will, the, will there be stickiness? Right, right. So, you know, you're, you're reminding me of what our friends at Club Benchmarking talk a lot about in the, in the sense of we got to think like owners, not customers. And, you know, if you, were, if you own this business, you'd be a far more proactive, whether it's a reinvestor or prospector for people who want to be part of an experience like you've got. And it also makes me think of what we we talk about an awful lot. You've got to educate folks as to the reality of what they're coming into. And the reality is you've got to help us ensure that we've got a robust pipeline of future members. It isn't just, as you're noted, Steve, the membership director's responsibility. And there's the role of the membership director sitting sitting down with. So Nancy and I joined the club because you, you guys, Marianne, invite us. And but she sits down with us and spends a long amount of time filling us in that we are not a customer. We are now an owner. This is not a transactional right. process. 
you know, this is, there, there are responsibilities. And part of those responsibilities is as you fit in and as you become more prideful, we would like you to participate, invite your friends. By the way, here's some tools. You know, Jeff McFadden at Union League Club does a phenomenal job of having an incentive that if you sponsor a member during your uh, period of time joining the club, that they will uh, abate some of the initiation fee. He has a, Jeff has a 41% conversion rate. This is the number he told me. I hope I'm not saying it incorrectly, but he told me he has a 41, 41% of his new members sponsor a new member. Huh. And that's, the and first that's because year? within the, I believe it's the first two years. It's either first year or second year. I, I, I could be misspeaking. I'm talking on a podcast, but uh, Jeff has been very kind to share some numbers with me. Uh, but it's because he does such a phenomenal job of indoctrinating in a good way the mindset of a new member that this welcome to the family. And as a family member, you know, you work for the family and you help the club. Oh, by the way, you know, here's a little something, something. We all like something, something. Uh, and you know, you can, you can abate a small amount of your initiation fee if during, during, during this period of time, you sponsor a new member of the club. 41% is pretty impressive. That's very impressive. Yeah. And speaking of something, something, we have to take a quick break because our sponsors need to say <laughs> something, something. So stand by if you will. Copeland, Keebler, and Wallace, McMahon Group, and Club Benchmarking, three of the most highly respected firms serving private clubs, have established the Club Leadership Alliance. After more than 10 years of working together independently, the firms felt it was essential to work more closely in order to more effectively serve clubs in all of their operational, financial, staffing, strategic, and facility aspects. Our vision for the industry is a transformation of the club leadership model through widespread understanding and adoption of the best practices that lead to sustained club success. Learn more at www.clubleadershipalliance.com. As clubs, communities, and businesses begin to manage post-COVID, now is the perfect opportunity to refresh your service team's training, standards, and hospitality skills. Whether you have a seasoned team or brand new interns, Copling, Keebler, and Wallace's hospitality and food and beverage programs are designed to get everyone operating at peak performance. Copling, Keebler, and Wallace is proud to partner with Videobolt.com. Tom Wallace says we love how they take our written job postings and turn them into dynamic videos that tell a story and get incredible engagement. The quality is great, the process is easy, and the price is exceptional. We highly recommend them to enhance your club communications. To learn more, visit videobolt.com clubs or call 855-235-0040. Well, welcome back, guys. Great to be with you, Steve and Kurt. Before the break, Steve, you really hit on something that I'm passionate about. And Kurt, you touched on it as well, how the members need to be the best referral source. But Steve, you continuously use the word story, which I, I believe is so important. And talk to me, if you could, and give some clubs some guidance on the importance of the story and brand consistency across so they understand the story and it impacts the potential prospect. Well, thank you, Corey. And listen, you're, you're as good as it comes. So you, you've made a profession you know, out of the, the wonderful way that you can speak and tell a story and have a person emotionally get you know, enthralled by you know, what you're talking about. And, and private clubs have to do the exact same thing. They have to, in fact, internally, you know, be consistently, and not just putting it in your newsletter, boy, the members are the best resource for our club. Don't forget to invite a friend to join the club. 
I mean, the, the, the storytelling needs to be dynamic. It needs to be compelling uh, from talking to your members to talking to the, to the community at large. And, and it's, it's an, it's an area of the industry. And heck, when I first started my company, uh, you know, two man band, myself and Kevin Morganfield, and we were pretty much into programming, Corey. It was pretty much about, you know, let's, you know, let's go out there and get the members, you know, all jazzed up and invite their friends. It worked for a while, but finally the club started saying to me, you know, can you help us with our collaterals? No. Can you do social media? No. So I had to start hiring staff, you know, and, and having people who were talented, you know, in storytelling, both in print, you know, and, uh, you know, in electronic form and, and helping clubs in that. And, you know, clubs need to expand, you know, back in the membership department, they need to expand their membership department, you know, so that they're doing a better job on their own Facebook pages, their own Instagram pages, uh, and having a dynamic story being told about the lifestyle of their club. And Kurt, not just we held the Ryder Cup, you know, in such and such, you know, year. And we, you know, boy, we held the U.S. Open. Boy, you, you know who our golf course architect is? You know, a millennial go, you know, and I, you know, I call it blue blood versus new blood. Mm. Uh, you know, there's this, instead of millennials and generations and all this stuff, there's this new blood of consumers that want to be marketed to. They want to be, you know, tell me why I should have this. Uh, if you tell me why properly, I'd like to do it. But if you just tell me I should aspire to it, no. No, I, 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 people don't aspire anymore to, to certain, you know, just specific things. They aspire to happiness. They aspire to, you know, being welcomed. Uh, you know, heck, one of the things that's just amazing to me is how many clubs, Kurt, are saying, you know, we've got too many young people. You know, we're, we're shutting off our associate program. What? <laughs> I haven't run into one of those yet, but uh, I can do that. I've, I've got a couple. I've got a couple that, and and, and remember, in the boardroom, uh, these guys aren't paying as much as I paid, and they, by God, they sure can't have had the same tea time I have. Uh, you know, they, or, you know, or think that they can play on Saturday mornings. They didn't pay as high of an initiation fee as I do or dues. So we need to stop those guys. We need to limit, we need to minimize those. What? But we're seeing that. What do you and then, you know, and go ahead. You know, I'm sorry, finish your thought. No, and, and then, you know, the creation of the senior category. You know, how can we keep more 80-year-olds? I'm not saying, I'm not against 80-year-olds. But I think you need to be looking at the 40-year-olds, you know, coming in, you know, to the club, uh, you know, versus making big concessions you know, to some of the aging members that we have at our clubs who are wonderfully important that we want to have stay forever, but not to, in fact, not have new members who are younger join the club uh, because we are, we're full of people who've been there for 50 years. Interesting. Where I was going to go with my, my thought kind of tags into the, the demographic piece of it. Doing what we do, uh, Steve and Corey, it's interesting how over the last couple of years, very reflective of what's happening in society today, almost every search we do, there is a strong uh, discussion and sentiment that Kurt, Dick, Tom, we want to make sure that we have a very diverse pool of candidates. And, and, you know, and as we, we would like to have, it just reality is the, the ponds that we're fishing in don't aren't always stocked with equal amounts of diversity out there. And as much as we try, we also don't want to put forward somebody who doesn't yet have uh, you know, the experience or, or 
so on. So we're always trying to balance that. We're trying to help that part of the industry. What are you seeing uh, out there from a, a diversity perspective in the membership recruitment efforts? Is that anything that's being discussed in, in the clubs you work with these days? Every club, sir. Every yes, club. sir. Yeah. You know, and, and it's a simple the, – the younger people you invite to join the club, the more organically diverse your club is going to become. I mean, we just have to be – be logical, you know, in that if that every 50, 60 year old who invites someone to join the club is not going to ha- is not going to be, uh, I want to be, you know, I want to choose my words correctly, is, is not going to be a biased negative person, but they're going to hang around with the same folks. Uh, and so the, the more you get young people into your clubs, the more you're going to see by the very natural nature of young people being more open-minded and diverse themselves, you're going to see that proliferation within your club. Uh, now, see, this is the problem about being too full. If, because those individuals economically are not paying quite as much. And I still don't believe that everybody should pay the same price. It's just not logical. And, unless you're a certain level elite club, but those clubs are becoming fewer and far between. There's still there's some sort of economic benefit to the younger person joining the club. They may not have voting privileges yet. They may have some restrictions. Uh, but if you're always, you know, I'm so tired of the, of the word FTE, Kurt. Oh, how many full-time equivalents do we have? This A full club is, is not science. It's art form. We've got clubs that have a thousand members that still play golf in three hours and 45 minutes. Uh, you know, but, but they're spread out in the club, you know, so well using all the facilities, uh, and the, and the, and the management team such that does a phenomenal job of keeping them all spread out. That the course is great. Uh, the, the facilities are great. We've also got clubs that's, you know, we've got, you know, 225, you know, FTEs and, you know, we're not going above that. Good luck. And your dues are going to be twice as much as they should be. And you're going to have a hard time filling your member guest. Uh, and be careful if you get any volatility in the world. You know, you're you know, in a very – the clubs that had really small memberships, Kurt, when the pandemic hit, and Corey, when the pandemic hit, they were the most volatile because as they lost anybody in, in immediate resignations and things, they found themselves being the most vulnerable and volatile. So back to your organic, you know, the diversity side, I, I think this all comes, you know, of having an open mind in the boardroom, of course, and, you know, having – a very welcoming relationship with regard to the mentality of what you offer to your club. But diversity is going to come from the youth. In my, in, in my opinion, again, you, you guys know I'm pretty opinionated, but I, I think that's where you're going to see it. Hmm. And what's your perspective on, you know, we, we read so many different uh, projections and crystal ball pronouncements out there, Steve, with, you know, the next generation uh, doesn't want to be part of a club. That's crazy. Yeah, I haven't personally seen that yet, but no. You know, we have to talk honestly. We, if, if you have a large population base of, of individuals who are under forty, so let's just use that that at that age, if I may, Corey and Kurt. The the affluent, the the, the people who have economic means. The, the bad thing about we we just have to be honest. We're in a luxury business. Not everybody can fly first class. Not everybody can stay at a Ritz-Carlton. Not everybody can drive a Tesla. Not everybody can have expensive watches. 
That's the world we live in. And if you look at the higher income people under age 40, they want the exact same things that all affluent people want. They want friendship you know, and privacy. They want the finest of this, the finest of that. That doesn't make them bad people. I think they're wonderful people. They, and they're, they are very open and diverse, but they still want nice things. So we tend to think of all younger people economically. We paint them with this broad brush that, well, they're against, uh, you know, uh, the man. You know, well, listen, one of the biggest problems is they don't like being called juniors, you know, coming into the club. They don't like being told they can't vote. So a lot of clubs are finding themselves having to, you know, go away from some of these, you know, typical names that they call these individuals and also start to give them some voting rights so they feel as though they're part, you know, of the organization. Uh, but I'm, we are seeing membership growth from the 42, from 30-year-old to 42, just Kurt and Corey. I mean, you can't beat them off with sticks as they're joining these clubs. Remember, before the, I've been in this business for 31 years. 90% of all private club members join a club before the age of 50. So that, I mean, that was a, that was a statistical, you know, you can talk to, you know, Rick Coyne, you know, he and I have been in this business forever. It, it's a tattoo we both have on our arms. 90% of all private club members join before the age of 50. So it, it shouldn't be a big leap to think that 35 to 40 year olds, because 40s become the new 30. Uh, you know, so to think that you're going to get a lot of interest at that age should not be something shocking. It goes back to your point as well, Steve, uh, embracing that diversity of the different age groups and people want to be around with people that look like them and sound like them, etc. So it's a solid, solid. Heck yeah. Point. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Well, Steve, final thoughts before we wrap this up on marketing tips that clubs can really just put in the place right away. Well, you know, uh, I guess my answer is, I answer quick with everything. There really is no, it's a process. And I think that's what clubs, let's go back to the very beginning of this uh, kind of conversation. Private clubs and golf courses all enjoyed a monopoly for a brief period of time from May 1st. You know, Kurt, our, our, our close, close loving friend, Joe Bettis, you know, at National Golf Foundation telling us that there's 60 million more rounds of golf being played, uh, you know, from May 1st, you know, through the end of the year in uh, 2020. That was, you know, listen, guys, the Kentucky Derby is coming up on May 1st. If there's one horse in the race, we can predict who's going to win it. If there's one person in the beauty pantry, we can predict who's going to win it. So for the for the year from May to December, private clubs and golf courses were monopolies. They didn't even really have to worry about process. The consumer said, "I have very few choices, and the choice that I have looks very interesting to me. I'd like to join your club." So you know, Corey, clubs are going to in fact misjudge how simplistically they saw this surge and not realize that, you know, membership marketing is a totality of discussions and education of their members, marketing their clubs, having the appropriate procedures. It's, so it's, it's really, 
for the first time taking marketing in the club as seriously as they should, the, of, of the comp- com- comprehensive nature that it is. And, and Kurt, I, I know you guys have been prolifically successful uh, and been very, very busy. But I would imagine that a lot more general managers right now with a whole bunch of members coming in are feeling a lot more comfortable about their careers because coffers are full. When, when coffers are full, it doesn't, it, it doesn't seem to me that there's going to be quite as much movement, not to say that you guys will be still, because there's still 70% of the clubs that aren't that way, prolifically you know, busy. Uh, but the more success you have at the club, the more general managers and the management team are confident in their careers. So, you know, Corey, it's them recognizing how comprehensive it is and giving it the appropriate uh, attention. And, and you know what, Steve? That's the perfect segue to the ending of this podcast because right now with those coffers full is the best time for you to market to stay consistent and make sure that pipeline is full. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do not know Steve Graves, if you are not aware of who he is, and I'm sure that's the minority, I'd encourage you to go to creativegolfmarketing.com. Give his team a call. I've worked with them. Numerous clubs have worked with them. They are fantastic. Steve Graves, such a pleasure to spend this time with you. Corey, thank you. And Kurt, thanks. I, I, one last thing. I always have, I always have one last thing. I, I, I stole this from another guy during the CMA World Conference. An individual made a phenomenal phrase. You don't have to be sick to get better. Uh, and I think clubs are going to find that that's a you know, pretty prominent thing to think about. But, Corey, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Kurt, thank you for, for allowing me to participate in this wonderful podcast. It, it's been wonderful. Thank you. I learn something every time I listen, Steve. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And for those of you who don't know Copeland, Keebler, and Wallace, you can learn more about Kurt and his dynamic team at KKN and is spelled out. W.com. So for Copland, Keebler, and Wallace, Steve Graves, and his team at Creative Golf Marketing, I'm Corey Sabin. Have a wonderful day.